1: Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, an update on the brutality of the war in Ukraine from former judge and judicial reform expert Mikhailo Zerdikov. He gives us insight on how Ukraine's public institutions are working, if British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's visit to Kyiv really means anything to Ukrainians, and he addresses the allegations of chemical warfare. Handy Andy Barrar joined us here on The Shift to give us a tour of his high-tech Airbnb home featured on Global BC, plus DIY ways to make good use of your old electronics and more. And what's the one drink you can never drink again? Again, your calls, stories, and texts, uh, the Ann Puka story is just one example of amazing stories coming from you here on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. <laughs> this is fun. Holy moly, there's a lot of bad booze stories out there. 877 What is the one drink you cannot do again? Hmm. Ryan says rum. Brendan says tequila. I'll share mine shortly. 877-399-9898. Sambuca really harshes my buzz. Lloyd from London. Hey, Lloyd. Uh, You know, there are benefits to Sambuca. Tastes just as good on the other way. Just just saying, I mean, it comes in really nice. Rye whiskey, specifically, Seagram's 83, 17 years old, never again. Uh, that Barbarian cooler, that's what that was for me. That young one, Barbarian cooler, two liters of it. and uh, <laughs> Tequila, obviously. That one comes from Alberta for you, Brendan. Let's go to uh, Burton. It was in Winnipeg. Hi, Burton.
2: Hey, how you guys doing?
1: Good. What is the one drink you can never do again, Bert?
2: I believe it was called Everclear. And the reason why it was called Everclear it would put hair on your chest. Oh, boy. It would start your car. It would start any car.
3: <laughs>
2: you could put as good. much water as you want in a, in a cup, and it would still taste strong. But that was in the <sighs> early, early, early 80s, and never again. And for yeah. Ryan, mm-hmm. next time he has a tequila, I suggest him to chew the worm.
1: Oh, that'll be, that'll, be it it. Brent,
2: that'll be some excitement night for him.
1: Yeah, psychedelic. I think some people have said um, that if you eat the worm, I've never done it. I, I've never found that to be curious or anything for me.
2: <laughs> you never? Oh, that would be super curious. But I'd be like, I don't know.
1: Some people have different opinions about the worm. Some of it is that it's uh, rather psychedelic, and other people say it's just bad tequila. I don't know. Does anybody, like, really? Yeah, just like a
2: bad cigar. It's a banana peel or it's not a banana peel.
1: (laughs) Thanks for the call, Burton. Thanks, man. See you, What 877-399-9898. What is the one drink um, that you can never do again? Uh, Sambuca. Doesn't taste well, nor was it ever designed to come back from my stomach. at three hours of dry heaves, and that will convince anyone, as it did I. Never do it straight up as shots again, Frank. Hi, Frank. New texter, Frank. Uh, I like Sambuca. And I smell sipping Sambuca. I mean, that's all right. has yeah, really sweet, though. I can't handle the sweet. What is the one drink you can't do again? Steve says flaming Sambuca with the stupid coffee beans that no one warned me about after the or the after the fire hot shooter glass. It burns all the alcohol off. Ah, yes. What's the one drink you can never, ever uh, do again? This is interesting. We're being playful, but this is a serious response. So I'm going to take it. Russian vodka ever. No more. That's good. I appreciate that. Thank you for your honesty with that one. What is your drink that you can never do again? Chartreuse, absolutely evil. I'm pretty sure you were DJing that night at Ezzie's too, LOL. <laughs> it probably was at Ezzie's. Did I ever tell you about the time Ryan's parents met at Ezzie's when I was DJing there? <laughs> Ryan loves nope. it when oh, I bring this up that's,
4: that's a great story love it it's a yeah. fantastic image in my mind thank you for that you're welcome
1: um, 877-399-9898 Desiree's in Fort Langley alright Des what is the uh, one drink you can never do again
3: I can't deal with fireball fireball just, oh yeah it's like cinnamon hot
1: Cinnamon. Yeah. you know um, you know, want to know the most things about fireball is that uh, golfers seem to think that it's great for golf tournaments as some sort of, they call it birdie juice. When you get a birdie, you have a shot. (laughs) And and they always bring fireball. Like, it's the silliest thing ever. Why don't you bring something good? Right? We're celebrating. Yeah. (sighs) Did you have a bad experience on the fireball, Desiree? Tell me.
3: Oh yeah, year with years ago now, but yeah, my my boyfriend at the time he bought a great big bottle and he had a friend with us and the friend got too drunk and he had to stay the night and uh, I was I'm always the more sober one, but the fireball I just didn't agree with me and and his friend ended up peeing in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was the washroom or something. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, hey, at least
1: he got up. Tried, right?
3: Yeah. Uh, Didn't let uh, him drive home.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, um, you're not alone in this, Desiree, by the way. Paul from North Delta says fireball. That stuff is lethal never again. So you're not alone. Oh, it comes up. It's the, it's the worst. Oh. Maybe Paul was the one who peed in your closet.
3: Oh, no. no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, no. Desiree.
3: Thanks,
1: Mike see about 877-399-9898. What is the one drink you can never do again? Slinger's grape wine and a bag of Hostess nachos. Troyan in Edmonton. Oh. As someone who doesn't drink, I don't get why people spend so much money to act like idiots for a few hours and then feel like death for 24. Well, it's longer than 24 now, Greg. I guess I would never drink ginger Pepsi again. Thankfully, it was a limited time. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. Um Everclear was available at BC during the 80s. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Trent, I think it was Trent. Lemon Gin comes in. Sambuca and Red Puss. God, I hope you're not drinking those together. My God, what's the one drink you'll never do again? Dave is in Calgary. Um, Yeah. Dave?
5: Uh, When I was really young, I had a dare on that stuff to drink. a a good-sized A&W mug of it for uh whatever i wanted and boy like straight up a little... oh yeah
1: oh i like canadian club i'll probably have some tomorrow
5: I mean, it's a large amount like about more than a mickey i'll tell you when you were just yeah. a little kid i mean man oh man
1: those are big mugs all right what's your other
5: yeah, one and, uh i tell you jagermeister sure puts hair on your chest that stuff boy
1: yeah i like Jager. i like uh, a little jagger and um like a red bull and vodka some Jager bombs, yeah, those kinds of things. Like, those were
5: good. Like a, a, a large amount of that stuff in a bar like this. Oh, man. Well, the when
1: Sambucci you drink stuff, your Jager, do you know you're yeah. supposed to drink it at like zero degrees? A proper bar will actually have it right cooled in its own Jager machine down to like zero. It's supposed to be freezing cold, and it's pretty good when it's freezing cold.
5: Yeah, oh, warm. It's pretty bad, though. And yeah, uh, like Sambuki and uh, whatever that Scottish liquor, I can't remember. That stuff's pretty good, though. Huh
1: doesn't come to mind for me we'll see if we can figure it out dave thanks so much for the phone call but i yeah, appreciate oh,
5: it hang on, hang on. i tell you one thing that never mixed i was a long time ago in a bar when they had uh happy hours or a certain time and you could order as much as you wanted to then right yep. don't ever mix scotch and vodka man
1: scotch and vodka well i could have told you that without the experience Dave.
5: <laughs> but when you're young you can get over anything
1: you can it's true you get stabbed in the leg and still make it to work the next day thanks so much dave you have a great night man yeah, bye. there you go i love that i love dave hold on hold on i'm not done <laughs> that's beautiful 877-399-9898 um he did remind me with the um jagermeister we were drinking jagger bombs which i believe jagger bombs if i remember is red bull with a shot of jagger dropped in it yeah uh, those are so good. And I like Red Bull and vodka. When I used to DJ shows, I used to always have a little Red Bull vodka. That was fun. Um, tastes good. Uh, but I remember we ran out of Jager. I think it was my 25th birthday. And instead, all we had left was Goldschlager. And that was not good, by the way. Um, and then you get all excited because you're like, I'm going to get to the bottom and get the gold. No, don't do that, by the way. That was not good. That was really not the best experience of my life, uh, just so you know. Veronica is in Coquitlam. Hi, Veronica. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. What is the one drink you can never do again?
3: Well, I'm going to date myself. Um, We're going back late 80s, early 90s, and a little bit there, wine coolers.
1: Oh, God, those were bad.
3: Thank you. But they were cheap. You got a yep. six-pack, and I tell you, the guys, you know, they. I think the guys enjoyed the wine coolers, I, how do you say it, for the women more than the men. You know what yeah.
5: I
1: mean? They,
3: they mm-hmm. got lucky. More yeah, they than got than lucky. <laughs> <laughs> cheap wine day, coolers Rick.
1: from the 80s, for those who don't know, who didn't live through the 80s like that, wine coolers are the white claw of today. Like the white claw... Uh, you know, drink today is yeah, exactly like what everybody had the oh. wine coolers back then.
3: Rockaberry.
1: oh, the was... fake that you know what those were? Those were that those fake berry flavors yeah. that were terrible, like,
3: like peach flavored and all that. Oh, stuff. but it wasn't
1: even peach flavored; it no. just said peach flavored.
3: <laughs> After a while, they just it was a fruit punch, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and even that's generous. Yeah. I um, I remember that was the barbarian cooler. I remember it was like blackberry or something, and it was basically yeah, just purple.
3: Ugh. Oh. The per- oh god oh, the peach. Or, I already said that my husband's trying to influence me. See, that's how <laughs> he we met me.
1: Okay, <laughs> he has the wine coolers? Hey, got <laughs> him lucky. Yeah,
3: well, love you guys. I think your your two mates, sir, that you work with. I think they're awesome too.
1: They are awesome. I love I'm very voices. lucky. Their
3: voices are very sexy. I like Oh, jeez. I haven't had any wine coolers. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I bet.
1: I doubt you. I don't believe you, Veronica. Thank you so much for thank calling. you. There Bye-bye. you go. I am very lucky to have these guys with me here. What is the she's one drink you cannot have me. anymore? What's that? I said she's obviously never seen me. Yeah, well, clearly no. she'd be all over you. No. Don't uh, know about that. Don't know about that. I guess it depends on the amount of wine coolers. Yeah, the wine coolers apparently are the ticket with Veronica. Um Bob from Beaumont says rye just about killed my liver and my marriage. Bob, glad you uh, cleaned that one up for sure. Got to be careful, man. It's a very slippery slope. I can tell you that after I got separated in my divorce, I was drinking a lot. Um, not like drunk all day kind of thing, but before bed I was, and it was too much. And I just, I remember one day my parents were wintering down in California or Arizona, and I was taking care of their place. And I remember I turned off the TV. It was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I'm like, ah, oh, it's time to go to bed. And uh, then I just sat there and I woke up at 1 o'clock. The fire was still on. It was like so hot in there. And I still had a, a rye and Coke in my hand. And uh, it was to like 40 degrees because that wasn't on a thermostat. And, uh, and I just basically sat there for two hours and stared at the fire. And I was like, yep, guess what? By the way, we're not going to do that again. And that was my wake-up call for that. So you got to be careful. What is the one drink you can never do again? Lemon gin comes on the list. Jack Daniels comes on the list, too, from Bipolar Bear Lisa. She's self-named, by the way. I don't remember a good chunk of my early teens. I was trying to self-medicate when things got uh, really bad with my uh, mental health and stuff like that. Uh, I would love to do it over. Had some great friends. Feel like I let them down. Oh, Lisa, thank you very much for being so honest with that. So true. Um. Hey Shane, it's Mary from Hamilton. Hey Mary, never again drink for me is vodka and orange juice. Uh, at a New Year's Eve of overindulging, next few days were brutal. How do I say it kind of ladylike? Oh boy, my stomach was acting like a gumball machine instead of gumballs, it was dispens- dispensing orange pulp. 877 399 9898. Uh, your calls, your texts. Uh, Winnipeg, Aiden, hi. Oh. <laughs>
0: I gotta follow up the, the gumball machine.
1: <laughs> oh boy.
0: <laughs> um yeah, so mine's a bit of a you know, outside the box answer, but mine is uh the Goose Island Honkers Ale from uh it's uh, I guess you could call it a craft brewery, but it it's owned by Budweiser. Um uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's a beer they don't export anymore. So it uh you know, I, I used to work, you know, these really long sixteen hour shifts. I would go from one job to the other. My second job was at a restaurant, and my my nice little treat at the end of the night was, you know, I'd get a nice 20-ounce glass of, of the Honkers Ale, and I couldn't stand it the first time I ever had it, and, you know, it was just this malty, caramelly, and, like, little bit hoppy, but not, like, I find a lot of, you know, those ales you drink, and it, you know, if you want hops, you get punched in the face with with hops, right? So, mm-hmm, right. It was just it was the perfect beer, and 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 you can't get it anywhere anymore. They they stopped exporting it. You really can only get it on tap, if you go all the way to Chicago. So, so
1: wow. I just, so, I to, just you overdid so it, burned it out.
0: Well, didn't, didn't burn it out. Just can't do it. You know,
1: it, again, oh, i right? Can't do it. Yeah, you literally can't do it. Okay, cool. I get it. I hear you. All right, Aiden, thanks so much for that. That's one yeah. thing that there are a couple of liquors that I can't get in Alberta that you can get. In Ontario, uh, Brickworks has a, uh apple cider that um, it's apple cider, but it's a, a lemon ra- lemonade radler based on an apple cider. Um, it's from Brickworks, and it is the best. There's Brickworks in Alberta, but not that one. Come on, Brickworks. It makes it a treat for when I'm uh, in Ottawa. What is Scotchka, Ryan? You got to help me out with that. Okay, what the heck?
0: so the worst movie ever made, The Room, uh, which is an amazing thing to watch. There's a scene where the main character, Johnny, didn't get the promotion he wanted, and his uh, his uh, future wife, as he puts it, uh, get tries to have him
4: drink for the first time ever, and she comes out. And it's literally a glass full of half scotch, half vodka. And the drinking game when you watch the movie is you have to do at least one drink with Scotchka. And I have done that. And it is horrible. Oh, good. Sounds it's okay terrible. In the context of the movie.
1: <laughs> um, rum and Coke. So this is one for Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, agreement with Ryan's rum problem. New Year's Eve nice. 1977. Uh texter says, I tried to jump out of my boyfriend's moving vehicle, told my mother about it the next day, and I was so embarrassed. I obviously can't handle rum. She replied, neither can your dad. Could it be something hereditary where the same effect on people? I suppose no other alcohol type bothers me or any one of us other than the rum. Maybe you should check with the fam, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Martinis. Gross. Um. Nearly died. Don't remember getting home. Woke up face down in the hallway with my house keys in one hand, and my purse in the other. I don't drink much alcohol at all anymore since working in an addictions recovery center. That's probably a good decision. I refused to drink any alcohol at all while I worked there because I needed to be able to look my clients in the eye. Ooh, integrity. And have them know I was honest with them. Cat. Hey, thanks, Cat. That's great. Um, Good for you. Uh, martinis i agree Ooh, olives though that's really the problem for me Eight seven seven um let's go to burnaby and get ann Anne, what is the one drink you cannot do anymore
3: well shane i can't do sambuca i had it on my 40th birthday
1: uh-huh.
3: and in the bar they renamed it and puca
1: Oh no! Uh,
3: Yeah, so that was you set a
1: whole new standard. So the bar, like even the bar, changed the name. That's amazing.
3: Downtown East Side Bar Two. That's how embarrassing it was.
1: Wow, a whole new standard and puka. Nope. hi, that's good. This is the Shift Podcast. The stories out of Ukraine are difficult to hear. The conversations are equally as difficult to have. We must continue having them, though. We cannot endorse any of the behavior that's going on by remaining silent in the conversation, and there's no better way to have these conversations than through the eyes of a man who is there. Mikhailo Zernikov, former judge, a uh, man who stands for judicial reform, with Dzur Foundation joins us from an unnamed location in Ukraine. Mikhailo, how are you?
2: Uh, hi, Shane. Uh, fine, thank you. Well, the, the country's not, but uh, we're holding up. You're, You're doing saw, okay. Saw the yeah, yeah, we're 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 doing okay. Well, I mean, I am doing okay, but uh, you know, we as as always, we need more sanctions and more weapons to 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 successfully defend. This this is something that I uh, don't don't you know uh, I'm never tired of repeating, and and I'm you am
1: yeah. right now needs to be said absolutely it needs to be said um let's talk about you first Mikhailo. um how are your days today uh your history with judicial reform and all those things around the government uh trying to get work done uh trying to still stand in that place or have your days shifted to to different things i don't think we've had the opportunity at least on the air to talk about uh how are you and how are your days Mm -hmm. how are you managing
2: yeah we um You know, we moved, uh, we relocated bigger parts of the team uh, to a more safer, to a safer place. And uh, from um, here, we continue doing some things that are still relevant, say, uh, overlooking the judicial system, whether they are not, you know, there's still, unfortunately, some uh, courts and some judges who continue issuing uh, very strange decisions, so to say. There are some, though, that are, uh, that we're very proud of, say, the, the, country, the, the members of the Supreme, the judges of the Supreme Court going and taking up arms and defending the country and, you know, judges donating um, money to charities and to Ukraine and so on. So basically, we're, on, on one part, we continue doing what we've been doing before that. Uh, Some of that, of course, became less relevant, say, the the legislative um, things or things like the processes of, uh, you know, selection of the judicial governance bodies that are now not happening. So uh, we redirected, of course, we redirected most of our efforts to uh, help the country win and to, uh, you know, to advocate internationally for, um, you know, more weapons, more sanctions. Hence, uh, I'm here talking about this as well. Mm-hmm. um because we're we are being engaged in international advocacy and communication so we're we, we have means to um to, to help the country uh get what uh what the country needs
1: yeah we don't get a chance to talk about that one of the things that we've heard um you know the international economics groups are forecasting the gdp inside ukraine dropping 45 percent uh, yeah. Obviously, I mean half the country is literally hiding in basements. They're not working. And so there's yeah. a big effort to try to continue doing business in Ukraine to make sure that Ukraine stays alive on the economic map and there's money and all the things that are needed uh, to do that. I we don't often talk about legislature and things like that where I, I guess that in order in wartime the government has to pass some laws because they've got to adapt and, and adjust. But, I mean, criminal activity and all those things must be one of those pieces of the puzzle that, I guess, if you have if you have time to be a bad guy in the middle of a war, you try, but most people are too busy doing other things. I don't even know how that looks. Why does it look in Ukraine?
2: Well, uh, the, the parliament gathers from time to time and, and adopts laws. That, of course, is a risk because, you know, it's in the, in the center of Kiev, which is now... Relatively safer than it was a couple of weeks ago, but still, you know, still not not a very safe, um, not a, an extremely safe place, and and it's extremely risky to, to gather you know hundreds of members of the parliament all at once in one place, obviously. And you know, the, the Russia, it looks like they they now used chemical weapons in Mariupol, What you know uh, they can do whatever tomorrow they there's no adequate response from the world they might they might use weapons other weapons of mass destruction uh, you know nuclear weapons on keep what not we you know we 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 understand nothing is there's no red line for Russia for Putin, and you know nothing is unfortunately uh, outside the realm of possibilities so it is it is a risky endeavor but uh, at the same time uh, they there are things there are modes to 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 do that and uh, to do that relatively you know that's safer than it than it would be otherwise and uh, you know they're still going on of course uh, it's things like uh, normal legislative process they are excluded from this realm of possibilities because you know we can't have public hearings we can't be present at the at the city of so the committees or or the or the rada and uh, you know it, it complicates things and of course you have to but 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 again we have to find a good balance between the um the, the, the possibility of adopting laws at all and uh, at least some uh, you know some uh, um democratic uh uh instruments and and, and processes and i think uh, we we've done something we've done, we're doing the best we can do uh, given the circumstances
1: I'm Mikhail Zernikov in Ukraine. Um, let's talk about Boris Johnson showed up and uh, got yeah. to Kiev and and uh, met with Zelensky, and you know they, uh, it's a great photo opportunity uh the uk has provided some passenger armored vehicles and those kinds of things but it's not the heavy stuff that you're talking about the heavier uh, artillery yeah. and uh, he- heavy equipment that, that you're talking about how does that work for in the eyes of a ukrainian you see you know the prime minister of the uk show up uh he you know he pops in they do the photo ops obviously they they it's a show of support which is great news but it's not yeah. like he's delivering tanks or jets to you so how does that look in the eyes of the ukrainian is it is it good news not enough or or more of the same
2: well it, it is good news generally it's, it's well accepted it is it is a good symbolic gesture it is uh you know it's a great deal of personal courage because again it is not absolutely safe uh to say the list um at the same time, of course, uh, and it shows leadership of the UK of you know of of uh, in many in many ways. At the same time, of course, uh, you know, Lukas Varoupolos, the things that are happening there, uh, tens of thousands of, of people, civilian people, are dead by now, and that 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 President Zelensky is voicing out, and uh, you know, and chemical weapons used, and uh, you know, the the defenders that are running out of. Uh, you know, of weapons to, 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 to defend the, it, it is just, you know, it is just uh, very sad to, to, to look at, and it's, it's just tragic. And we know that if, if we had tanks and, and airplanes and jets, you know, and all that, uh, when we asked for them, the situation might have been different. We might, you know, the situation in Mariupol might have been different. This, we might have avoided these tens of thousands of deaths. And that's that's what's uh, the most important for me in this, um, um, yeah, in this equation, so to say.
1: Let's uh, let's have the hard talk about chemical weapons here, Mikailo. Um, here's uh, first of all, I don't diminish or um, absolutely believe the perspective. Uh, that you share with me. I'm I'm not uh, going to debate that. I listen to you and all the voices we have from Ukraine, honestly and openly. So I'm not debating whether it did or did not happen. I'm simply going to quote to you some of the reports that we're hearing here, mm-hmm. um, because it was made very clear by the President of the United States that if chemical weapons were used, that would be a red yeah. line that it would be uh, met. I think he... The way he said it was really kind of stupid, but he, he said it would be met in kind, which was not really what he meant. I think with reciprocity might have been the much larger word that he didn't use. Um, but the reports that we're getting, so I have a report from eight hours ago, and it seems like the Western world is being very, very careful to investigate the claims of this. Our The information that we get it oftentimes is very clouded, and um, and that's why I always appreciate the conversations with with you and and some of your other colleagues and and, um, and peers. So only eight hours ago, there was a report out that Zelensky was warning of possible use of chemical weapons. There are the unconfirmed reports yet uh, about chemical weapons in Mariupol, and the yep. all of the articles so far are basically saying they can't confirm it because they can't get in. There's reports there and it seems to be a cautious move obviously to not jump to any conclusions is there anything that you've seen uh directly or reports from trusted people about chemical weapons as the western world uh, chooses to investigate it before they jump to too many conclusions
2: well luckily i don't see it my uh, you know firsthand, and uh, uh, honestly i do, I do not I do not have any more information that, uh, you know, that, that, that the world has that basically has been, that's been online. But my logic is very simple. If, if these people already have, you know, raped children, uh, killed civilians uh, that couldn't protect themselves, uh, you know, mass murder, uh, you know, what, you name it, anything that, that that is possible, they have already used and done. Why Why not stop there and why especially... On the day when their uh, top army official online announces that oh why not uh, no, that we ha- they have to use them in Mariupol and they're using them in Mariupol and then a couple days before they changed the, the leadership uh, of the army itself uh, and now it's the guy who used largely who used chemical weapons in Syria it's just it just makes so much sense uh, and I, I do believe I, I have no reason to not believe, uh, you know, the Azov Regiment, the the the, the guys who are, and, and the others that are protecting Mariupol, that that made it public, and um, you know, and, and I have all the reasons to understand and believe that, uh, you know, if the Russians announced it, if they are putting people on on top of their uh, army um, to who uh, already have done that in in the other countries, why. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just the picture for me is very clear. But I, of course, I understand the, you know, the necessity to confirm some things before taking some, you know, unprecedented action. But at the same time, we have to recognize that it's exactly the Russian uh, tactic in Mariupol, especially because it, you know, encircled because you cannot have, ac- you don't have access to these things uh, because they they are uh, bringing in crematoriums, uh, mobile crematoriums, to um, get rid of all the evidence. Of mass murder of civilians, that's exactly their tactic to do the atrocities and then deny them because that's what Russia does—they they, they kill and lie, and that's what they're all about.
1: Well, I uh, like I said, I have no reason to doubt you. I absolutely uh, listen and, and listen very carefully. Uh, But it is worth bringing up because that is the perspective we like to bring is make sure that we do look at everything very pragmatically. Here are some headlines out of the UK because, uh, the Western reports, including our own TV network are saying, you know, they're, they're, uh, monitoring, looking for evidence and so on. This is a report. Mm -hmm. And then obviously we have Mikhailo's uh, report from inside Ukraine here from what he's sharing. This is a report from the UK and I want to read it verbatim. It says Russia's Russia unleashes chemical weapons on Mariupol. Um, then Ukrainian troops were, um, claimed to be hit by a substance dropped from a drone that left them unable to breathe, just as Zelensky warned, warned plans to use them. Ukrainian president also tweeted to say it has received reports of Russian troops firing nitric acid at Donetsk. So these reports are out there, and I, I think it's, um, it's, it's really great, uh, that we're able to share um, all of these details. So here are some of the other details that are getting reported, so everybody can hear them. Claim from besieged city Azov regi- uh, regiment says troops are currently suffering from respiratory failure. Um, and what was the other one? Oh, um, oh, there was a phosphorus bombs allegation that that was going to be used, and and so on. So I mean. It's it's a confusing storyline, and uh, just to be clear, the guy that they put in charge now from Russia to um, lead the invasion was involved in Syria when these things happened. So uh, I think, like Mikhailo says, that it's it's very very uh, it's a very similar storyline. Um, that's mm-hmm. for sure, Mikhailo. When we look at what's going on down south, um, what do you see down there? Because we talked last week, uh, frightfully that it seems that Russia is trying to sweep south. My assertion was is that they would sweep south, try to get um, the Black Sea, try to get all of the um, coastline and connect uh, uh, connect with Moldova and then probably try to come up uh, with Dnieper River at least as the, the boundary and get Kiev again. Um, that That assertion on my part, I'm not a political scientist or anything like that or a military advisor, but... Um, that seems logical to me, and that also asserts that whether that happens or whether Ukraine uh, crushes them now in the east, like this is a long-term situation we're looking at here. Either way,
2: yeah. Uh, well, yes and no, I think because uh, on one hand, I do. There's that, been, in, 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 you know, number of reports. Not that there have not been wrong before, because they, you know, some of them gave us 48 hours or so to leave. Uh, now we're here. Uh, but yes, Mariupol is of huge strategic significance. Um, south is, uh, of course, is what, you know, the, the, the east and the south is what the, um, Russia is concentrated on right now. Uh, and you know, the, 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 I think it will be repeating itself to to a certain degree when we say oh now they're concentrating the forces in Donbas you know and and try to get as much of Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts as possible and so on so it's been it's been around for for a while now but yeah I I agree with you that, that this is ideally what well ideally Russia wants us to be dead Russia wants us to fall and that's that's been in the articles officially on on the state website that we have they, essentially they have to eliminate Ukrainian Ukrainians that's that's now a very fascist Obviously, it's not racist, uh uh statement. By uh, you know, again, uh, um, stated on the on the Russian uh, official um, official news, news agencies websites. Uh, so uh, to do that, yes, I I do, I do think first of all they they want to, to they want the, the the whole of the east, then uh, the whole of the south, and they to 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 cut us completely from the Black Sea, and that that would mean again we see the potential of minus 25% GDP, but I, I mean, if we're cut off from the sea, that's a uh, bye-bye economy. Uh, and that will be extremely hard to, to, to continue, you know, doing anything militarily and survive basically, because, so that's, that's why it is so important. Uh, and Boris Johnson, when he was here, he talked about Odessa. And a lot of people talk about Odessa to not, uh, trust, uh, to, 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 to be able to keep that definitely. But, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of information, although as well as a lot of opinions, uh, saying that um, uh, you know the, the fate of the war will be decided, in basically in the east. Um, and I think we're, we're days, uh, you know, if not hours, away from uh, um, from a. Full scale or I don't know how, how fuller scale can, may it get uh, or should it get for, for the world to see and for the world to properly react. But what I'm trying to say, uh, I, I think when uh, uh, our president and our foreign minister say uh, it will be uh, the, the war, you know, the, the the part of the war in the East now will, will be. Uh, something like the world war ii that i don't think they, they exaggerate exaggerating. There's, there's a lot lots of tanks lots of airplanes artillery everything and uh it, it will be decided uh i think in the next days uh on donbass so yes it will it will go on for some for some time definitely but it, it very much depends on how much the world will finally i hope react to what is going on because again we what we see is just sanctions and other reactions and and especially the weapons the weapons the weapons the weapons like the foreign minister kuleba says uh, they're always i don't know a week or two or three or a month behind what is needed right now in the theater of war and what, what i'm fearing right now is that it might still be uh you know too late for some things to arrive for us to defend effectively so whatever if if you want to help ukraine i know you know Prologue festivals are great, but push your governments to provide weaponry, heavy weaponry. And I agree with, with the with the Secretary Stoltenberg of NATO that every weaponry for you provide for Ukraine, whatever, however um, you know uh, uh, hard or, or big, it is a defensive weaponry and, and it's something that, that helps us survive and defend the democracy all over the world.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's that's very well said. Thank you. I I wanted to present you with one look that I I heard from somebody in Georgia that had said um, that Ukraine must win this war. Because Ukraine is not fighting this war only for Ukraine. That Ukraine is fighting the war for all of Europe, including places like Georgia and everywhere else that sits under the thumb and the fear of being attacked from Russia directly, again, in their case, but in the future. And um, at what point does Russia decide to do over Crimea like they have done now seven years later uh, with this overarching overshadow of fear and threat? and that Ukraine is actually fighting this war for all of Europe and for all of the world. Um, That seems very big, but it also seems very accurate.
2: Yes, it is. It's just, you know, it's enough to look at the um, moods and and the sociology in Russia. 81%, 86%, 83%, something something there uh, of Russians are in favor of attacking other nations, such as Poland or NATO members or whatever it is. And we've already seen, you know, some of the um, uh, unmanned uh, aircraft, you know, Russian aircraft landing in in some NATO members. So, you know, some rockets flying uh, around and about or some rockets exploding 20 kilometers far from the Polish border. It is, you know, uh, Putin will not stop here if he is not stopped here, he will not stop, and he will sooner or later attack other nations. It, it, you know, it's been uh, in Moldova, it's been in Georgia, it's been in Syria. Uh, it, it's been later uh, or earlier in uh, Czech- Czechoslovakia, and Hungary, in Finland. In you know, it's. It, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't know if we have enough time, enough airtime to 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 just list the countries that the the Russia and the USSR, which is Russia, which was Russia, basically. Uh, attacked. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of time right now. It's it's not a figure of speech that we are now defending. It is matter of fact that we are defending other European nations and other world nations from uh, Russia's uh, aggressive actions and from, from war and deaths, literally. So, um, it is and, and you know eastern europeans know it very well that is why they're they're you know central europeans that is why they're they're most supportive of ukraine right now because they understand they are the next and they understand you know the the the, the whole democratic um system uh, of 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 the world that the, 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 the because democracy itself that is something that i i i do believe we all cherish very much uh, is a danger and if we let putin uh, not be crushed And gain at least some, have at least some victory. We are basically reinforcing the message, and we'll 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 tell all the autocracies in all the all the world, this is the way to do. Go attack other nations unprovoked. You will get away with this. So that is that is why it is extremely important to not only help Ukraine defend itself and not cease to exist, but also to crush Russia to finally, uh, you know. Um, make them change their behavior, make them change the country itself, or, uh, so it becomes democratic and, and not, threatened, not a threat to the entire world.
1: Uh, Mikhailo, thank you very much for the time. It's very clear uh, and um, and you just uh, you make it easy for us to understand. So thank you so much for sharing with us.
2: Thank you very much, Shane. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for doing this.
1: This is the Shift Podcast. We've been asking you here throughout the night, what is the one drink that you can never drink again? We're going to ask that same question of Handy Andy Barrar because it's time to get on your dance pants. AndyAndyMedia.com. If you want to check out his website, please do that. Subscribe to his YouTube uh, channel as well. Andy Barrar is here. Now, I gave Andy some Crown and & Coke cans because I wanted to try it. And uh, I gave them to him, and I didn't like them. And I was like, hey, Andy, what would you think of those Crown & Cokes? He's like, they were fantastic. They didn't last long. And uh, I hated them. So i got to ask you this question, Andy, off the top, because we've been talking about it here
4: on The Chef. What is the one drink you can never drink again? Well, this one's kind of easy, Shane, because it was so bad, they discontinued it because it was so dangerous. Um, Back in my early 20s, this would have been circa like early 2000s, there was this drink from Bacardi called 151, and they called it 151 because it was 151 proof, meaning it had 75% alcohol content. This Mm -hmm. stuff was so potent, Shane. I loved it. If you ran out of gas in your car, you could just open this bottle, put it in your tank and you got a high octane vehicle like that's how strong it was.
1: We used to use it for um, fire when the DJ shows.
4: That, oh yeah so you know what we used I'm to talking light it on about fire. Yep. yeah, this was a really really dangerous drink and uh, really dangerous when you're in your early 20s and then your friends like, yo, we have to drink this and and of course you don't say no. And then I'd love to tell you what happened, but I don't have no recollection of what happened. After what came after
1: it? I can tell you, we never actually drank the 150 run. We just used it in the DJ show. I was DJing. We were, uh, I was working radio in Ontario, but we were traveling around on the weekends to DJ shows. And I believe it was a Thursday night. We were in, it was a Thursday or a Friday. No, it was a Friday night. We were in the Nimo. That uh, was a place called the beach was the name of the bar. And um, I had arrived at like ten o'clock at night. My DJ partner was there earlier, and so I got picked up by the car and I went down. I didn't DJ till midnight. And the way that I started my DJ show was the 151 proof from was that we had these. We used to put lighter fluid on the records. We had these old records. We put lighter fluid on the records, and we'd light the records on fire, and then we would do shots of 151, and sort of like spit it out like a big spray of fire. Well, apparently the police did not like that part of the show. <laughs> because they were in the room with police dogs we didn't know that and uh that was the end of the dj show at the beach that night so
4: come so is handy. this why you're doing talk radio now
1: that's why yeah they <laughs> shut me down that's it that was a long time ago that was probably 1998 99
4: so yeah pretty yeah. close to so the same that's, era that's the era that we're talking about uh, it was such a dangerous drink and um i just remember it it, 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 it could light on fire it was so dangerous um but, you know, when you're 20 and someone says, this is really dangerous, it sounds like a good idea. Of course, yeah. it's not. But at the time, it sounds like a great idea. Dangerous. I love it. All
1: right. Um, Andy has already posted at shiftheads.ca. You can watch it, of course, on his YouTube channel and
4: so much more. We're going on a tour of Shea Andy. Yes. Uh, so I posted a video on some smart home tips, though. I did a series of videos for Global B.C., Uh, here in British Columbia um, for their morning news. And they actually came just to do one, but I had so many smart home gadgets. um, They're like, can we do some more than one? And I'm like, not a problem. So in the first installment, Shane, I actually showed the trick that I told you about how to turn your coffee machine on with your voice while you're still in bed.
1: Uh, It's Which, by the way, is the best thing ever. Totally. And, um, I use my, I use the, uh, Apple home pod to yeah. do it, or I just use the app. In fact, tonight I was, this is so good. Andy told me this. It's been over a year now and it, I, I downgraded. I didn't even have a very smart coffee pot, but I downgraded to like the simplest coffee pot with only an on off switch, put in the smart plug. I was live on the couch, having a cuddle with the pooch, realized the show was about to start. Oh man, I forgot to turn on the coffee. Okay. Hey, Siri. I can't say it loud because it'll it'll try to do it. Yeah. But if I hey Siri, I turn on my coffee pot. If I say it loud, it'll actually try to turn it on. Um, the uh and there it is. Come to the meeting, see Ryan, see Brennan, coffee's done.
4: Yeah, see, and this is what I love to share these kind of tips because it could really change your life. And the great thing about this is that you don't need an expensive coffee pot. You can get one. All you need is one with a kill switch, an on-off switch, and you can get them for about $30, $35. And then you combine it, like you said, with the smart switch. It can be from any of the um, different brands or whatever smart speaker that you have. But once you combine that together and you have that smart speaker bedside, you just basically wake up, talk to your smart speaker, tell them to turn the machine on. And then by the time you get into the kitchen, you got a nice hot cup of coffee brewed. Now, to get this to work, you have to set up your coffee machine the night before, but soon after, once that becomes a habit, this is life changing. And I start to realize just how life changing it is when I actually forget to you know, set the coffee up and then I try to turn it on and then I come to the kitchen and I'm like, oh, I forgot to set it up last night. But uh, it's one of those life changing ones. The second tip that you will find, and you can go to shiftheads.ca or HandyAndy Media to, to find this video, is how to repurpose an old tablet. You know, a lot of us have these old tablets, they kind of don't work as good as they used to, but they still work. And so what I show is how you could use double sided tape, a little bit of crazy glue from from the dollar store to make that double sided tape a little stronger, mount it onto the wall, and you kind of use it like a digital jukebox. And what you want to do is make sure you mount it underneath uh, an outlet so that you could have one of those cord hiders and have it plugged in all the time. From there, all you need is a Bluetooth speaker that you can put anywhere in your house, have that always plugged in, and then you just walk up, turn the music on, and then you can have music playing all throughout the day. And it kind of gives life back to a device that that still works, but you really just do it for a single purpose use, just to use Spotify, Apple Music, or, or what have you. So that's another great tip. And then the last one I showed, and this is something I came up with during the pandemic, Shane. Is how you can store all your networking equipment, your routers, your, your those little extenders that you have to get for all your smart home gadgets. You get all these different types of switches, uh, even like your network attached storage, all the stuff that connects to your router. Well, what I did is created corner shelves that I put in my living room because you know, every room has a corner in it and nobody really uses corner shelves. And the great thing about that is usually there's an outlet nearby, so you can do the same thing, run all the cords down on the corner of the room, plug it in. Now all your your smart home devices are up high, so they're away from the back of the TV. And what that does is it allows your Wi-Fi signal to really kind of extend throughout the home. And what you'll notice is that you'll probably get a better Wi-Fi range by having your your router kind of sit up right on a corner shelf. So those are three tips that you could do uh, if you are looking to build a smart home that that can really kind of get you started in the whole smart home world.
1: I love it. It's really, really cool. And, um, the, you said about the tablets, uh, super handy because a lot of those older tablets don't often don't, um, the batteries are dying, right? That's really yeah. why most of us get rid of them is because the batteries don't last long enough to make it worth it anymore. And what a great solution to find a new home and new life for them. Uh, pretty cool stuff. Handyandymedia.com. What about the smart home devices that save you money in general, Andy? There's a bunch of them out there that can, I mean, the natural one would be, um, Like the thermostat, right? Um, Up and down and saving you money. Programmable is great, but sometimes these smarter ones can help even more. And you got to use them properly because they're not cheap to buy. So if you want to get your return on your investment, you got to get at it.
4: Yeah, and it really kind of depends on what kind of heating system that you have in your home. If if you have a central heating system where you have that one thermostat that controls everything, you can get the the likes of like the Google Nest and all of those central thermostats. I have to say, Shane, I have never installed one of those yet because unfortunately in my home, I have baseboard heating, which I really, really don't like because electric, like electricity is really expensive. But they actually do make smart thermostats for baseboard heaters as well. Um, you just have to look uh, up for it. And the thing about it is, unlike the central heating, you're going to have to get one for each baseboard. But you can connect them in groups. You can set schedules and have them go on and off. You know what's funny, Shane? I actually have uh, a smart thermostat in my Airbnb suite. So I can see what temperature the guests are keeping the, the uh, heat on. And what really upsets me and people don't understand with these um, baseboard heaters, they think if you put it up on max, that it's going to get the room's going to get warmer faster. But that's not how it works. And I've noticed that some of the guests, my my smart thermostat can go up to 30 degrees Celsius and people actually crank it that high and leave it there. So thankfully, when I see that, I can remotely turn it down and they don't even know about it. So that's a a great thing that you can help you save money or keep an eye on on the temperature when when you're not at home. If you like are going
1: to be a great dad one day.
4: Oh, this like my grandfather move. would be so proud of me cuz he he used to always have sayings like Turn, close the door, you're letting all the heat out and yep. I've become that guy now except you I are have that smart guy. smart devices. I don't have to complain. I can just control it all from my smart my smartphone.
1: handyandymedia.com that's where you can find Andy Barrar. I'm Shane Hewitt. We are talking about robots, Andy. Robots that'll give you a hug.
4: Yes, emotional robots. Um, and this is a, a really interesting story. So this eccentric billionaire in Japan, uh, he made his money through um, you know, online, but now he just bought a startup and it's a company called Groovex and they make robots. In particular, this robot called the Lovat which is a combination of the words love and robot. And this is an emotional robot that has an ins- the instincts to love. So it's kind of like a, almost like a little teddy bear kind of thing, but it has wheels. It has thermal cameras so it can understand when a human is around. And it has these like big eyes. And what they're trying to do is design these robots that can love and that you can love it. Now, I just want to clarify this: these aren't robots that you make love to. It's the robots oh, that you actually. That's a just different kind love. of robot. That's yeah, a whole different they, show. And they do make those kind of robots as well. But oh, this one, is, what, they're, what they're noticing is because of the pandemic, if you look at nursing homes, even children, a lot of loneliness. And what they're trying to see is if they can create these almost kind of like a pet robot. That has the ability, the AI, the machine learning and the technology sensors to actually love back. So you could actually develop, you know, an affection for these uh, emotional robots. And so it's it's taking off in Japan. Hasn't really hit North America, but it begs the question, are we ready for these emotional love robots? It's nothing new. Didn't we have like those Furby toys or something like that? Oh, back right. In day?
1: Tamagotchis and
4: stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's that it's pretty much that same type of principle, except with this new machine learning, AI, and, and technology, and the internet connectivity. Um, who knows? Instead of getting pets, some people might get robots that they that they love and keep. <laughs> the one kicker, Shane, is it costs right now. I think about almost three grand American for a single device. However, you have to pay a monthly service of approximately eighty dollars per month to love this robot. So that's where they lost me. They they had me going all the way up there until the subscription fee. Love does
1: cost a thing, 80 things. (sighs) You can't put a price on love. All right, Amazon is doing some work with uh, broadband.
4: Yeah, so I think a lot of people are familiar, Shane, with Starlink, you know, um, Elon Musk's company where they're sending out these satellites to deliver internet in Ukraine. But a lot of people might not know that Amazon is already in this space too, pun intended. That was a oh. good one. I don't know if you caught it. it. Uh, and it's called Project uh, Kuniper. And it's the same thing. These are what they're called LEO satellites, low Earth orbit satellites. And what they're basically doing is creating a constellation of these satellites around the Earth. And it's kind of like a mesh router. Have you ever seen one of these mesh routers in the home where you have different satellites in your home and they all connect to deliver Internet? The benefit of this, and we're seeing this in Ukraine, is when you use these types of satellites to deliver internet, it can help governments and industry across the world, especially when you don't have that that physical infrastructure on the ground. Or in this case, there's an invasion by one country over another, and you need to have that connectivity. It can bring it. So there's really a space war that's happening between Amazon and um, you know Elon Musk now because they're trying to get... Who can get the most satellites up into orbit? And what Amazon is doing is over the next couple of years, they're going to be delivering um, about 83 launches over the next five years to get more of these satellites out. And they're hoping to have more than Starlink. So it really is a space race up there. But the problem that no one's really talking about is all of the, the... The pollution that these things are going to do, Mm -hmm. the space debris and also the light pollution, because you have astronomers on Earth who are trying to watch these meteors and all they can see is the the line of sight of all of these satellites up in space. So it's creating a lot of of noise up there and making Mm -hmm. it hard to look at the night to see out, too, they
1: say. Um, because of you can't even see out because there's so many. Have you ever followed Starlink? Have you ever tried to follow them? Have you ever heard what that looks like? It's like a line of satellites, it looks like a chain, and they fly over, and you can see them go over. But it's a whole, but it looks like a whole bunch of tiny little airplanes way high in the sky, all in a row. And they, they like they're not even going over Canada again for like five days, but you can see them go over, and it's a straight line, just a line of dots, just bright, just zooming across the sky. It's really kind of cool. There's some websites you can track them on.
4: And it's very unchartered territory because it's like, who owns the space? Like, you know, like what happens when it goes out of service? Are these satellites going to come back to ground or are they just going to be space junk up there? But this is really the future. You know, there's even another company that even the British government has been backing and they're looking to put up these satellites. So it's not just Starlink and Amazon, but you have other companies that are trying to get up there because I think this is really the future of the Internet why have run these broadband cables across Canada when we could just have a constellation of these satellites to deliver high-speed internet, especially as we migrate to 5g over the next uh, 10 years or so. So it really could be the future, but we almost need a governing body to manage all of space now Mm -hmm. and, and all these satellites that are going up there because they're going up uh, at an exponential rate.
1: Well, I say handy Andy Barrar for president of space. The, um, That being said, though, I I did say that satellite radio was probably why would you need terrestrial radio anymore when you can have satellite radio everywhere, like you could keep the same channel all the way across the country. And then turns out even satellite radio is turned into the Internet, which is people are coming back to terrestrial radio because they can listen locally and then they can take it with them on the Internet. So it is kind of funny how everyone was thinking that was the future of radio and music delivery for so long, but now it's actually regressed back down to be the internet's caught up and faster. So it makes me curious if, you know, towers and cords are going to be that much more efficient down the road once they build the infrastructure better.
4: I just wish there's more competition. This actually brings more competition to Canada so we can bring our internet prices down because we only have really the big three. So more competition is be- is going to be better for the consumer and the uh, more competition will lead to lower prices as well. Yeah.
1: And, and, and mobile connectivity too, obviously is a big one as well. Uh, very cool stuff. We only have 30 seconds to talk about Elon and Twitter. Um, he bought a bunch. He got invited to be on the board. He said, no, thanks. That's the news of the week. What do you see?
4: Yeah, I think uh, that was kind of interesting. So he's Twitter's largest shareholder now. Uh, he's fun to to follow on Twitter. He's, he's mm. kind of a troll if you, in one way, but now he's only kind of trolling Twitter asking for if they should have an edit button, which I think they are going to launch an edit button, but you got to be one of their subscribers, a paid subscriber. So Mm -hmm. I hope Elon could push his his weight through and maybe give that function to the non-paying users out there as well because that's something a lot of people want. You know, just typos and stuff. You want to be able to fix it.
1: Uh, He did decline being on the board, though. That's also a big step as well. HandyAndyMedia.com. Watch his videos. You can see one of them. It's posted at shiftheads.ca. Andy Barrar. Thanks, buddy.